I'm Jeff Gibson. And I'm Shanna Paxton. And we are the, the Movie, Movie Lovers. Lovers. Welcome. Hello. To the official podcast of the Gibson Review. In every episode, we kick off our love and appreciation of film with the Weekend Review, what movies and TV shows we've been watching since the last episode. Move on to the main event, which is a main review or topic of discussion, and then finish up with our third segment, Film Faves, our respective lists of our 12 favorite movies around a particular topic. In this episode, the main event re- review will be... Thor's Naked Butt. the mcu's thor love and thunder directed by taika waititi and because there is definitely a relationship element going on with thor love and thunder what we decided to do is countdown for film phase our favorite romantic comedies We've done love stories before, which is kind of the romance genre on the whole, kind of a broader perspective. Now we're going to talk about the rom-com, a interesting genre, subgenre. We will talk more about that later. Oh, and also uh, keep an ear out. At the end of the episode, we'll have some news about the podcast. But first, the Week in Review. Shanna, Shanna, you have watched many things, but you can only remember... A couple, correct? <laughs> uh, I can remember two. Mm. What's what, what? What can you tell us that you've been watching <laughs> in your week in review? So I was checking out HBO's miniseries, The Staircase. It tells the story of Michael Peterson, a crime novelist, accused of killing his wife Kathleen after she is found dead at the bottom of a staircase in their home. And the six, it's something that takes place over 16 years. Uh, it stars Tony Collette, who I adore, Colin Firth, and you also get to see Sophie Turner from Game of Thrones, as well as a few other faces. Mm. So this is a very interesting show. I love crime shows. I love mysteries. And how this eight-episode miniseries tackles it is they show Tony Collette's character dying a few times with the different theories of what actually happened. Mm-hmm. And what's also happening is we have a French documentary crew coming and filming what's going on because there's also there is also a, a documentary right about the actual events. I heard about this through another podcast that that's when Things get really surreal. Is there's an actual documentary about what happened, and this mini series actually depicts the documentary being made later on in 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 the series of events, mm-hmm. which is which is uh, sounds crazy. I think what makes it crazy is how involved one of the people on the documentary team gets involved. Mm-hmm. And that's when things are really, really, are they going to do that? Um, But it's, you know, it's what happened in real life. So Mm -hmm. uh, you can't really stray away from that. And I just thought it was interesting seeing how the, you know, there's different family members and it's, it's kind of this meshed family where some are birth children, some are adopted children. And it's just interesting how they treat the children, uh, specifically Colin Firth's. Uh, character Michael Peterson 
uh, all these children get treated differently and he's particularly harsh on the girls uh, as shown in this show and he is very lenient about the boys behaviors and I just I think it's an interesting look at things and then we also see Tony Collette's character Kathleen her family and you know as the show progresses we see this fight in how it unfolds in the court system Mm. and it's it's interesting seeing it from the lawyer like how the lawyers get involved and how they're deciding they're going to play this game Mm. of getting their client off or you know the other side saying no he really did do it Mm. i recommend this show it's not incredibly intense i maybe give it a seven out of ten have you did you follow up and watch the documentary also? No, I wanted to, but didn't get to. I'll try to tackle that as well in did, the future. Did you look into it and see if it's available a stream or anything like that? I uh, know I will have to follow up on that later. Very good. So that is the staircase and where is that available? That's on HBO. Excellent. Uh, what next- else did you say you watched? My next one is the Umbrella Academy season mm. four just dropped, and uh, it's very difficult to talk about this show because how they have the format of it is it's all taking place basically one episode after another. There's no two years later or anything like that. It's all happening like. The one character makes a joke that he's been trying to make things right for 24 days straight and he would just like to have a break, mm-hmm. you know. There's 30 episodes total through the... the oh, it's the th- third season, my mistake. Okay, I was going to be surprised if it's yeah. already been on four seasons. So it's, uh, you know, 10 episodes per season. First season, we're getting introduced to the characters and the dynamics between them. Second season, they're strewn across the timeline and they eventually come back together as families do and season three they you know they're having a an issue with the timeline they've changed something that they think that they have changed something that they shouldn't have kind of like the flash a little bit like that yeah and so it the, the show cheats a little bit sometimes because they have time travel so i feel like it's well, maybe it's not really cheating if you have time travel of course you can find loopholes to bring certain characters back i.e cheating (laughs) i.e time travel (laughs) did you like this season compared to the previous ones i'm trying to think about that i there were elements that i liked about this season oh that doesn't sound good and i think my favorite seasons are probably one and two Mm -hmm. because one and two make more sense number three ended in a way that didn't quite make sense to me Mm -hmm. uh it's not very coherent and i don't know how people feel uh, like if they're fans of the graphic novels like the comics the comics like is this true to what they're doing it was uh, Season three was a little confusing at times, and usually this show does a good job of making it very interesting and complicated, but also being coherent. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that that quite happened in this season. So season three is a little bit of a letdown. I think so, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'd probably give this one a five out of ten. Mm. And and how Elliot Page? Well, I believe this was Elliot Page's debut on... Oh, okay. TV shows, at least. Okay. And 
is Elliot Page's debut on Umbrella Academy specifically. Uh-huh. So it was lovely seeing his name right there, and it just felt very natural and wonderful. So I'm very happy for him. And how they incorporated that in the show, it was just very straightforward. There was nothing weird or awkward about it. I would love to hear from the trans folks, like uh-huh. what they think about it, how it was dealt with. To me, it just felt like a natural, very... It was very welcomed. There okay. was there was no nonsense about it. Oh, very good. Which was a, a nice change of pace, right? Excellent. So that is the Umbrella Academy on Netflix, and that concludes Shanna's week in review. Shanna, you, you look like you remembered something. Yeah, I forgot to mention that I got to see Lightyear. Ah, one of the things. That uh-huh. was one of the things. Uh-huh. So you <laughs> went to see the newest Pixar film. In theaters. In there. So what, what, tell us about that. So there was a little bit of confusion when the trailer first came out and we saw that. We were all a little... You know, is this a prequel or whatever? But what we found out, what I found out was in the first few minutes of the film is there's a title card that says this is the movie that Andy went to go watch in theaters, what the toys were based off of. So you're basically watching a movie from the Pixar universe. Uh-huh. And it was a lot of fun. It it was surprising and it was sweet and it had cute moments and it had very heartfelt moments about being present and making the most out of the life that you have right now. And I love that message about it. Uh, Taika Waititi was very funny. He's one of the voice actors in there. And most of these characters I really enjoyed. Is it top tier Pixar? No, but it's very enjoyable and fun. So I think it it could be something that could be enjoyed at home. So not in the theater. Well, it wasn't mind-blowingly space special. Mind-blowingly space special. I don't know what else to tell you. <laughs> it wasn't like you... It's not like you need the theater experience for it. Mm. And I'm a theater-going person. Well, it's interesting. Because so I wonder uh, if we're gonna have like a a Woody show. Huh? That sounds naughty. <laughs> well, I don't know what you mean. Oh, like a movie. Sheriff Woody. Oh well, that was like already... it was a TV show, yeah. but we've never seen the TV show, well, so I just thought it would be funny. Actually, if they did that. We, we did in Toy Story Two. We saw that... briefly little clips. Yeah. Here's what I want to. You're point like, out. no, please don't, God. <laughs> yeah. Here's what I want to point out. Uh, I don't know about its its budget. But I will say that Toy Story 4, which is considered the one Toy Story film to not be on the same level widely as the other Toy Story films, that managed to make $434 million domestically. Hmm. And that was in 2019. This time, 2019. Okay. This film... Has made a hundred thirteen point eight million dollars. Okay, so a quarter, a quarter of what Toy Story four has made, and for the summer box office, it is only the sixth highest grossing movie of the year so far. Minions: The Rise of Gru has doubled its. 
box office. Uh, so this is, you know, Pixar decided to swing for the theaters for mm. Lightyear because of brand recognition as opposed to Luca and and turning red. Not rec- failing to recognize, honestly, that Pixar is the brand, not necessarily its properties, mm-hmm. the uh, stories that it creates. And, and I don't know. I think that that was a mistake. That was a mistake. Yeah, definitely. I agree. You know, not, not that we're not that I'm arguing that they should have dumped Lightyear to Disney Plus or anything, no. but I think they set up this expectation first of all for their movies to be on Disney Plus and streaming, and second of all, assuming that that Lightyear would be, I mean, like Toy Story movies, Pixar movies, and Finding Dory was the number one movie of the summer of its year, you yeah. know? So I think it's really important to, to point out that it's handily being beaten by MCU movies, Jurassic World, and most especially Illumination's Minions uh, series. So. I think, I, and I, I hate to say this, but I think it is difficult to compete with the Minions franchise because look it's it's fun it's yellow there's lots of fun characters but it's not very I don't think very intelligent by any means and I am probably which one Lightyear or Minions the Minions franchise Mm -hmm. and I'm you know the first one is fine it's a fine movie and I'm probably gonna go watch this one too given my my work and I'll be able to report back, hey, they actually did a really good job or, you know, between the two who should get more praise. Here's the but I do think numbers-wise, it's hard to compete with Minions. Well, here's the thing. Like, Minions, compared to Toy Story 4, Minions made $100 million less than Toy Story 4. Granted, they're four years apart, mm. but still, $100 million less but Minions, in its opening day weekend, opening weekend, made as much as Lightyear has earned in its lifetime so far. Okay, yeah. Okay? Uh, and that's that's 115.7. So that's madness. Did they have... They must have had Despicable Me 3 in the intervening years between 2015 and now. Is that right? I, I believe so. I'm I'm curious about that because and and box office mojo doesn't make it as easy as they used to since IMDb took o- took over it. Yeah, 2017 was it Despicable Me three, and that made less money than Minions did. Hmm. You know, so I'm just saying that I could probably make a table here of Pixar movies and how well they perform. And I think that you'd still see most Pixar movies uh, outranking and, and outperforming this Illumination franchise. And the fact that Lightyear is performing the way it is is a huge disappointment. And I'm not hearing anybody say that Lightyear is amazing. Lightyear is one of the best Toy Story-related movies. Uh, I, I'm no, hearing people say not. it's it's good, it's fine, yeah. it's enjoyable, whatever. No one's saying it's garbage either. It's just like firmly mediocre Pixar for the standard that they set. But I haven't seen it. You tell me if I'm wrong. No, I think it's fair. Mm. It's an enjoyable film. It's fun. 
It's a great way to go get some air conditioning and <laughs> you don't have to worry about anything inappropriate happening. I know that for some parents, they're very particular about what their kids watch. Like they don't want their kids watching something that, you know, has jokes that are there for adults. And with this film, you're you're not really going to get that. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. It's a fine film. But I give it a 6 out of 10, knowing Pixar's caliber. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. All right, so that is Lightyear. Thank you for recalling that and, and uh, jumping in to talk a little bit about that, because that's an important one of this summer. doesn't sound like it's going to perform up to expectations. I think I ranked that. I guessed that that would be, like, the second or third highest grossing movie of the summer. Mm. Uh, I guess not. Yeah. For my weekend review, the only thing I can remember for my part were two things. One, I, I'm chipping away at the James Bond movies. It's slowly but surely. Some of it has to do with life. Some of it is that someone right across the mic from me wants to watch some of these movies with me. So, it, you know, oh, conflicting. Gee, I wonder who on earth that could be that's stalling your process. Yeah, conflicting work schedules can, can slow that down. It has. But I'm, I got, at the time of recording, I got a couple more Daniel Craig movies left to go before I finish the James Bond uh, feature on his era. So keep an eye out for that. It might be hitting shortly after this podcast hits. In addition to that, I wanted to bring up a documentary called Into the Eighth Dimension. This is available on my fa- one of my Father's Day gifts. I got the Shout Select Collector's Edition Blu-ray of The Adventures of Buckaroo Bonsai Across the Eighth Dimension. And what's really cool about that, other than having it in... HD and all that sort of stuff. I thought you were going to say other than having it in your hands. <laughs> I mean, because it, it, it was that priced cool. pretty high. Well, well, that's the thing. Okay, so first of all, it's cool to have it because it's out of print, and it usually runs around one hundred seventy-five dollars. And I was able to get it uh, for much, much less. Uh, to say the least, there was also a gift. So there, there was, there was that. I mean, like, we're talking about 80% off kind of thing. So that was fantastic. But on it, what's notable is there is a documentary on the Shout uh, Select Blu-ray that is 20 minutes plus longer than the movie itself called Into the Eighth Dimension. And this is a documentary that interviews the director, W.D. Richter, of Buckaroo Banzai, the writer, I think the chief writer of, of the script, and cast members like Christopher Lloyd, John Lithgow, Peter Weller, and various other members of the cast. No Ellen Barkin, no Dan Hedaya, but uh, there are those I mentioned that are interviewed, and it is really cool to hear them talk about each other, to hear them talk about the process of the film, talk about the process of making the film, to hear their thoughts of the script and what their perspective of the, what the movie was. 
and all the different things that went into making the film, the troubles that they're having from people who are financing the film, and and the release of the film, all that sort of stuff, it's mined pretty heavily in a two-hour, three-minute runtime. So if you can... I highly recommend getting your hands on a copy via rental service of some kind or what. I don't know because it's out of print. But uh, I, I, I highly recommend for fans of Buckaroo Bonsai, check out Into the Eighth Dimension. It is a worthwhile documentary. That's my weekend review. Moving on to our weekend review, the one thing that I wanted to talk about that we've watched together, and maybe there's something that you thought of that I didn't, but we rewatched The Godfather and The Godfather Part 2. Yes, that's right. That was a, a fun weekend yeah. or two-week stretch. Yeah, well, I think we spread it out amongst a, a handful of days, but... Obviously, we're talking about the early 70s Francis Ford Coppola films starring Marlon Brando, James Caan, Al Pacino, and many others, Diane Keaton. Shanna, I want to hear from you what your thoughts are on those films, what it was like rewatching it, anything that, that hit on you for you. The thing is, for me, the first time I watched them was when I was maybe 14, 15. And these are films that require you your attention. Mm -hmm. And not just, you know, stare at the screen, but also follow all the threads of what's going on. It's, mm -hmm. I would say it's a rather complicated film. It's not an easy watch in that you have to be paying attention. You have to, you almost need like an entertainment weekly Game of Thrones guide, you know, equivalent, uh, because there is a lot that's happening. Mm. But if you're sitting with it and you're really listening and are able to absorb all the different names that are mentioned, all the connections, mm -hmm. all the things that they're talking about, and you're able to recall what got said or done in the beginning of the film versus, uh, you know, middle, third quarter, end, then you're fine. Mm -hmm. So I think this is the kind of film you know, you, you watch it at first and it's a good film and you like it and you understand why it's important. And the more you watch it, the more you appreciate it every time because now you know the beats of the film. Mm. You know who's who. Mm. You know what they end up doing and where they end up. And so it's it. I feel like this film gets easier to watch the more you watch it. Now, Godfather 2... So Godfather 1, I would always recall different things. But Godfather 2, I never remember the beats of the film. I never remember the like the cycle that the characters go through or anything like that. Mm. Watching The Godfather 2, I think this is my second time okay. in my whole life. I was wondering. Uh, it was a much better experience. And it was also really satisfying to watch it from watch Godfather 1 and then 2. Mm -hmm. It just felt like it was a better mesh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What about you? Well, I, I want to also clarify, have you seen the original film more than once previously? Is this your second? I think or? this is my, possibly my fourth time. Okay, okay, yeah. okay. okay. And it's like, what is it, two and a half hours? It, two hours, 20? It, it, it's like two hours, 40 minutes-ish. Oh, but yeah. Godfather Part Two, I did not remember this, is like three hours and 20 or three and a half hours long. 
it's 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 even longer is the important yes, part. Yes, and, yes. And I did not remember that mm. about the Godfather Part Two. Did you? By the way, before I I share my thoughts, did you have a preference over the two? Do you think not not just in terms of your favorite, but do you think one uh, there's the there's there's your, your favorite right? There, everybody has a favorite, but there's also like the debate, eternal debate of like is one better than two is two a superior sequel all that sort of stuff um that's a lot of questions actually <laughs> <laughs> sorry so uh, my favorite i'm just gonna like start with that is definitely godfather one it's you know if you're learning about cinema and you see that film mm-hmm. in your teens you start to realize that cinema is beyond entertainment uh-huh and beyond Oh look, it's a mafia film. No, it's it's more than that. Yeah, try watching an Ingmar Bergman film. <laughs> you really get the message that cinema's more than entertainment. So, and then objectively speaking, I feel like between one and two, one is more succinct, tight, coherent mm. between the two of them. Mm. But I also give number two props for being a good sequel. I don't think it's amazing, and maybe really? I'll feel that way when I watch it a third time mm-hmm. in my life. Mm. <laughs> but I I do prefer number one, objectively and personally, over number two. Mm. What about you? Well, okay, so... All your questions right back at you. Yeah, so uh, I think I had seen the original film about as many times as is you, and so I knew it better... I was able to follow it very clearly, but I do think that it is a film that reaps rewards the more times you watch it. You, you're you just absorbing it the first time, so maybe you don't fully follow everything and all the different relationships, all the different families and everything. Um, but the more you watch it, the clearer it all is. And it is an extraordinary film, and I do actually love the original film. The second film, I think this was only my second or third time watching it as well, because I realized I did not remember most of it. And it's it's a film that, like, it unravels everything, right? Like, typically the great sequels, you, you know, un- undoes everything that was established in the predecessor right and so the sequel pulls the threads of the family and so you start to see this thing that you know this this whole emphasis on family it being it being a family movie about family about loyalty all that sort of stuff you start to see the threads being pulled and ultimately in the end michael colleone has pretty much nobody you know and I think it's one of those movies that intellectually it is an extraordinary film. It's an extraordinary film to talk about, discuss, um, parse out, all that sort of stuff. I definitely understand its praise. I'm appealed more by the original, mm. like you are, but I definitely understand why The Godfather Part Two, and I've always kind of understood this, but I, it, it's a nice reminder why Godfather Part Two is considered canonically one of the three greatest sequels ever made. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's been really cool to revisit it. We revisited it because we were showing our teenage son the films, introducing him. He absolutely loved mm-hmm. the first film. He was like, huh. 
about the second film, mostly because it, it took away everything that he felt about the first film, I think. And it, it is a, it's more of a, a thinker. I don't know if anybody emotionally, I, I, don't, I honestly don't know, feel free to write us, if, if you're emotionally more connected with the second film than the first film or what. Either way, this is really good timing, I should note. Really good timing because like three days or so after we watched Godfather Part 2, James Caan passed away. Oh, that's so sad. But you didn't you didn't know? No. Oh my no, god. I didn't realize. Oh my god. James Caan, who plays uh, Sonny Corleone in the first film, has one scene Aww. in the second film, very pivotal scene in the end of the film. Uh, he passed away uh, three or four days after we watched uh, the second film. Now I'm sad. Yeah. <laughs> like super sad. Well. Uh, because I, I think he's such a great actor if you compare, like we were trying to tell our son who's who. Mm-hmm. And we had said, oh, that's Buddy's dad in Elf. Yes. And he was like, what? What? No. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah, exactly. What and a great actor. I, and I, I love him from Misery as well, which yes. is one of my favorite so horror good. films. So anyway, some thoughts on The Godfather and Godfather Part 2. I thought it was worth bringing up. Did you have anything else you wanted to add? Well, isn't there a, a Godfather, the making of The Godfather show? Has that been released? I know that they spoke oh. about it at the Oscars, I think. I don't know. I, I, <laughs> I forgot be, about that. You I know, now that, that I've watched one and two so recently, I'd be interested in checking out the show. Well, uh, and we, there is a third film, but... Do we talk about the third film? Well, that's the thing, is it is widely considered, even by its defenders, to be a a step down from the previous two films. So I've never watched it because in my mind, eh, why ruin a good thing? So, yeah. <laughs> you know, even if it has its strengths, I don't I don't really feel a need to see it. Maybe maybe you'd watch it out of curiosity. You definitely have access to do that. Um, and then, of course, the Blu-rays have lots of stuff that we could uh, mine, too. But... Mm. As far as this feature, I forgot that it exists, and I don't know what the status is of it. So that concludes our Week in Review, and thus the Week in Review. Now it's time for the main event, which is our review of Thor Love and Thunder. These hands were once used for battle. Now they're but humble tools for peace. I need to figure out exactly who I am. I want to choose my own path. Live in the moment. My superheroing days are over. feel lost just look into the eyes of the people that you love not me what just listening
And that was from the trailer to Thor Love and Thunder, the latest Marvel Studios film. This stars Chris Hemsworth, Natalie Portman, Tessa Thompson, Taika Waititi, basically the cast of the Guardians of the Galaxy, and Christian Bale. So Thor Love and Thunder is loosely based on the Mighty Thor, which if I'm not mistaken was a comic written around 2012 by Jason Aaron, I think. And you have two stories going on. First of all, we're catching up with Thor post-Infinity War Endgame, that whole saga. He last, last saw him, he went off with the Guardians presumably to have adventures with the guardians and also we catch up with jane foster and what's going on with her it appears based on the trailer she somehow became thor ish has that power has mjolnir who which we saw destroyed in thor ragnarok when we review a movie we like to first focus on the good. It's always good to focus on the positives. What did we like about a movie? What worked for us? What were its strengths? Then we focus on the bad. What sort of criticisms we have? What sucked about a movie? What were its failings or flaws? Then we weigh whether or not the good outweighs the bad, give it a rating, and move on to spoilers and final thoughts. Shanna, Thor Love and Thunder. What what level of excitement did you have for this film going into it? I don't even remember if it was one of your anticipated movies of the year. I mean, our... I don't remember what I said during that episode, but I I was excited about it. Okay. I was so excited about it, I went and bought a Lego kit, you know, mm, mm. of the the Thor Love and Thunder. What 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 excited you about it? Well, who wouldn't get excited about Jane looking the way she did and wielding so much power and it just it really appealed to me and Korg is in it I love Korg mm. I think he's one of the best side characters mm. and it's it's okay to watch Thor himself as well it's okay okay <laughs> and we you know we also see Valkyrie so I was very excited about that as well gotcha well, what did you like about the film? And, and you know, I mean, feel free to give your general opinion first, but uh, what, what were the strengths of the film? What did you like about Thor, Love and Thunder? At first, I really thought they were going to merge Guardians with Thor. Yes. And that was going to be epic. But uh, how they played it out in the film was great. It was kind of like, you know, you're overstaying, you're welcome. Mm. And I thought that was relatable and, and and I loved Nebula's one minute performance about how she was so done and was ready to leave Thor wherever mm. Mm. and you know then we come and we see uh, other characters uh, that we've seen before like Valkyrie and Jane and I, I really enjoyed that mm. S- and Korg was in the mix too mm-hmm. as you mentioned yeah so they had a lot of really fun ideas in here mm-hmm. and we can talk about that later but my overall i also like the bad guy i wasn't really sure what was going to happen with the bad guy Mm. or what he was all about but i thought it was totally legitimate and 
was awesome how they handled it because at certain points I was kind of rooting for him. Huh. So in the beginning of his story. Hmm. So overall, I really enjoyed this film. Hmm. How about you? What's your generalities? So after Avengers Endgame, I, I was really excited about the idea of seeing this out of shape Thor going on adventures with the Guardians of the Galaxy. And I was really bummed to hear that we weren't going to see Guardians of the Galaxy 3 first. Because it felt natural to me that Guardians of the Galaxy, the next Guardians film, would would follow up first after Endgame. And I think I think I came to terms with what we don't see, which is the adventures of Thor and the Guardians, because I think this film, and this isn't this is a very minor spoiler because it's within the first twenty minutes. I think this film illustrates pretty well what would basically happen if you had the God of Thunder and a bunch of mostly non-superpowered, a team mm-hmm. of non-superpowered beings. Aliens and such. I think Groot is the closest to being superpowered out of all of them. Yeah. Basically, the God of Thunder would trump everything, make everything too easy, take out the challenge of all the missions, and and you know sometimes maybe even screw up worse than the Guardians themselves would. And so I I, I think that it illustrates that well, and it's like, well, here's why you're, you're not getting that because. It kind of sucks. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, I I guess you're right. So this movie is a movie that you, you have to be willing to go along the ride with. I think that this is a movie that will very easily turn off some people because of how far it goes with its, its silliness and... And just the ride that it wants to be on. I appreciate most of that. I I do think that it's got this crazy 80s metal rock and roll kind mm-hmm. of vibe going on. And I, and I think that that's a pretty amusing idea mm-hmm. with basically marrying the idea of Thor with 80s hair metal, you know. <laughs> I was like, okay, I, I get that. I get that. It made me think a lot about the Peacemaker show. Oh. And how heavily they were tied to a very particular genre of heavy metal. I forgot about that. That's interesting, yeah. I think that this is a very funny movie. I think it's a very uh, fun movie. Uh, one thing that a lot of people are failing to mention or maybe didn't even... Uh, heard of them somehow is your villain is literally called gore the god killer and mm. it's it is wrestling with ideas of killing your gods being godless and and you know this lack of faith and such and i i don't have i don't know how i feel about that or i don't have fully formed thoughts around that theme and those ideas yet i probably would after a second viewing which hopefully we'll be able to do in the near future i do think that it i think the thing about marvel movies is it's cool to shit on them apparently and i think that 
part of that comes from people not realizing that more often than not they're actually saying something or doing something more than just being a straightforward superhero movie and i think that there's a lot of fun popcorn window dressing here but i i do think it's trying for something and and on on the other side of it i think natalie portman is so much better in this movie than she was in Dark World or the mm. first Thor. I think Natalie Portman is an extraordinary talent, and it was always kind of like surprising how the part and the performance in those movies never measured up to the level of talent that she actually has, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, it's also the way they were marketing that movie, right? Thor was the one that kids could go watch for whatever reason. And they kind of played things down. I guess. I I think she's got a lot more to do here. Yeah, uh, I really love her character in this one. I think she's the best here compared to the other two. And I'm not sure, aside from, oh, what's it called? Your Highness, I'm not sure I've ever seen Natalie Portman have as much fun or be as silly as she is in this film. Hmm. I mean, can you, I mean, I don't even know if you saw Your Highness about 10 years ago. No, I highly, I, that's not ringing a bell at all. Have, have, I don't think I've seen Natalie Portman have fun in anything. Yeah, do comedy. I think it's all been very serious. Yeah. Even like the Star Wars <laughs> yeah. was fairly serious and melodramatic. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's not Natalie Portman's fault. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You yeah. know, she's an actress that I really believe in and know that she can do anything. And yeah. so when I love her in something like Black Swan and then I see her in this, it's, it's a lot of fun. You're right. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, Natalie Portman is unquestionably one of the greatest talents of like that's my, my generation, my age. Um, so uh, she's she's great to see here. Tessa Thompson, I agree with you. Not enough of Tessa Thompson in in terms of like <laughs> she's in most of the movie, but I'm yeah. not sure she gets the room in the film to breathe that I would I would appreciate seeing. Um, and mm-hmm. but there's and there's a couple other operations. So I think there's a lot to like in Thor: Love and Thunder. Yes. And um, I do prefer this over Doctor Strange, uh, the multiverse. The, you would, yes, of course you do. Wow, you don't <laughs> have to be like. Beep, 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 well, beep. here here's the thing. I I actually do think the Multiverse of Madness is a better film mm-hmm. than this. Mm-hmm. This is just as predicted a much more fun, much more of a ride, much more of a popcorn film. Mm than Multiverse of Madness is. Mm. But we differ very greatly on that mm-hmm. film. I don't even know if that one will be allowed in this house, but... <laughs> it can be in this house. That's uh-huh. fine. Uh-huh. Speaking of that, I'll go see if there's a pre-order available. Yeah, actually, I'm surprised it hasn't come out yet. Anyway, um, let's talk about what doesn't work for us. What sort of flaws did you have or issues did you have with Thor Love and Thunder? None, nothing at all. It was a fine film. Are you serious? I'm just kidding. Okay. <laughs> uh, you know, nothing really comes to mind right now that can be discussed. 
No nitpicks. Oh, okay. So there's things that are in spoiler territory. I have territory. one thing later, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. I, I just, um, you know, I like the villain. Mm-hmm. I like the concept of him. Mm-hmm. I, I thoroughly enjoy it. I guess I wanted more from him. I don't know what I wanted. Hmm. I don't know. Maybe his like the last scene we see with him. Maybe I wanted something more out of that. Huh. Maybe I felt like that just that scene fell just short. But it's it's a little thing. What about you? What's your nitpickers? Well, I have a couple things. Uh, I think it, it does come down to, to a certain extent, how far you're willing to go with this movie. But also, I think the question is, does it go too far in its silliness? And I think there's two things. I'll, I'll try to remember both of them. Um, I think there's two things in particular that's... that's mm. One is... It does this thing where it acts like Mjolnir or Stormbreaker. Uh, I knew you were going to talk about that. Are like puppy dogs almost. And I kind of get the idea of the riff of like, you know, he always calls calls this thing and it comes. That sort of thing. But he, but he being Taika Waititi kind of goes a little far with the idea almost making these objects sentient in a way i'm not sure that that worked for me it worked for me uh-huh. i was perfectly happy with a jealous weapon uh-huh. <laughs> kind of sneaking around the corner and being weirdly animated that it can hover off the ground and be face to face with thor yeah looks like it could slice him so <laughs> I feel like that's a that's a bit of a, a further leap from everything that's previously established. I, I'm not I'm not sure fully works. Um, there. Oh, I remember what the second one is, but it is spoiler territory. There is something that happens with a character's face that is uh, also part of that realm of. Are we going a little too far with the silliness here? I can clarify in spoilers a little more if even you, Shanna, aren't sure what I'm referring to mm-hmm. when I say that. But, you know, I, I think that's the biggest thing. And I think some people are wrestling with how silly the film is. And I think there's a lot of there's a lot of accusations of it being tonally just all of it being imbalanced. And I don't know that that's necessarily the case. But I do think that there are elements here and there that's like, mm, maybe we could have reined it in just a little bit. So th- those are kind of my criticisms of the film that prevent it from being great. Either way, I think it's, it's still better than Thor Dark World, which apparently, as we know, is one of the more important Thor films in the canon. <laughs> as per, uh, I think it was Endgame. But it's better than Thor Dark World. I think still Thor Ragnarok is the best of the quote-unquote Thor films, solo films. Um, but it, this is this is like second best, I think. Like even even Kenneth Branagh's original Thor film uh, pales in comparison to this one. Yeah, I agree with you there. What do you rate it? Ah, I got to you first. Yeah, you did. I uh-huh. think I would give this a 7 out of 10. I agree with that, yes. <clears throat> really? Yes, I do. Did you have any other criticisms of the film you want to throw in there? No, not right no. now. No, okay. So the good definitely outweighs the bad. Absolutely. 
All right. We are generally more positive on this film than negative. Shanna more so than me. What we're going to do next is we're going to go into spoilers for a few minutes. Any other thoughts that we have about the film that's worth mentioning and talking about, we're going to get into. If you haven't seen the film, skip over to Film Faves. Look at the timestamp in the show notes and check that out. I highly recommend that segment. Otherwise, if you have seen the film, follow along with us and and continue hearing our thoughts on Thor. Love and Thunder starting now. Okay, I loved all the little elements in this film from Korg telling the story of Thor and Jane to, uh, you know, us checking out New Asgard and what it's like there and how it's become this touristy town, like this mini Disney place. Yeah, that's interesting. I loved that concept. I was like, yes, tourism will bring you the money. And um, I just, I thoroughly enjoyed that idea as someone who loves event, doing event photography. I thought this was great. <laughs> I'm like looking at it. I'm like, how can we, what can we take from this to apply in everyday normal event world? And I, I loved Jane coming back and doing her thing. And I loved Valkyrie saying how much she missed fighting and, uh, that that felt right to me because she's mm-hmm. a Valkyrie. Like right. obviously, like fighting is in her blood, and there, you know, everyone's about Valhalla, and which is where they go should they die in battle. It has to be, and you have to die in battle, <laughs> uh, as we find out later from. Well, early on, actually, it's, yeah. it's a very funny riff. We <laughs> we we finally bring back Sif. Yes. They don't explain where the fuck were you, Stiff, you know, in, in Ragnarok or anything like that. But we finally bring her back. However, like, she's extremely tangential because she's in who knows what planet. She was trying to help defend a god. Uh-huh. And her yeah. arm was taken. Yeah, she lost her <laughs> arm in the battle with Gore. And uh, she thought she was going to die. But then Thor says, your arm is in Valhalla, but, you know, the rest of you will not go to Valhalla. <laughs> right. Well, because he says, you know, the rule is you have to die during Fighting. battle. Yeah. And she's like, oh, shit. <laughs> you know, yeah, that was pretty funny. <laughs> I, I do wish we saw more of Jamie. Why not have that trifecta of the mighty well, Thor, then, Valkyrie, and Sif? You yeah, know? that would be great. Uh, Sif does come back at the end, though. She's training. At the very end. Whose son is she training? She is training. Oh, Heimdall's, yeah. That's Heimdall's like, son, yeah, which is... That's awesome. I didn't even know that... Oh, no, I forgot. I should say I should... I forgot that Heimdall had a family. I think that's established in Ragnarok. Mm-hmm. I think we see that he has a family as part of the villages that he's trying to help. Mm-hmm evacuate you know come going back to where i was i i also loved that you know this is a a norse town and the children were all kidnapped i i just like that idea like all the children were taken away to get thor into this trap mm-hmm. and i thought that that was very fun i love that thor went to a place where apparently all the gods network and have orgies yeah and <laughs> like they, you can get uninvited notice they they very carefully sidestep the christian god 
Yeah, but I think he didn't he get mentioned? I don't know that he did. I could have sworn he got mentioned. They're like, we don't want to offend anybody. But yeah, you know that whole thing. Once I heard they're going there, I forgot what they call it. But once I heard they're going there and established what that is, I was like, oh, this is how Moon Knight's gonna tie in. Oh, that would have been a great opportunity. But but also the Moon Knight God. I don't think he's, he seems very myopic. Like he's got his mission and he wants to keep running his mission. It doesn't seem like a, I want to go to the next, you know what? I think maybe I want to go to the orgy this year. <laughs> it's like, I don't think that, <laughs> I don't think that's on his mind like at all, but it would have been cool to see someone else. Maybe like the, the hippo God goddess right, 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 or, right, right. or someone similar. I was so sure that, I mean, the opportunity, it's, it's a layup, right? It's right there. Well, there was so much to see as well, and everything was moving so quickly. Well, they called out specific gods. So if there were gods from Moon Knight there, it would have gotten called out. It would not have been mm-hmm. a, a thing that you have to look for, uh, because that would have been a intentional crossover sort of thing. Yeah. Well, and then, you know, they eventually get to... What is his name? Gore? Yeah. All right, then. Um, they get to Gore's planet, essentially. Well, it's not... It's... it's uh, well, okay. Or he, realm. He's on something, but he's going... He's trying to get to... Eter... Not Eternia. That's He-Man. Um, Eternity? <laughs> it, it, Eternity. Thank you. Eternity. Which is one of the... Everybody now, Celestials, which were set up in the Eternal. You don't get this. You you fail. The Eternal. I'm letting you explain it. Okay. Oh, all right. All right. So we have relevance with the Eternals there, mm-hmm. which is kind of mm-hmm. cool. But you're saying once Thor got there. Yes. I love the transition into black and white. And oh, when yes. they were holding up their weapons. Uh, they got the Zeus bolt because Zeus is an asshole. Um, Played by Russell Crowe. Yeah, it was perfect casting. In a very weird, <laughs> lispy kind of it was, dialect. It was a little weird. I would have actually preferred if they got someone Greek or something and respected that that culture. But we have an Aussie. Um, we have another Aussie in yeah, the Yeah, okay, sure. Apparently, this is the Aussie show. I mean, and Taika's, uh, isn't he Taika's, Kiwi or New Zealand, whatever uh, you call it? He's one of those. Unfortunately, I can't recall which one it is right yeah. now. But anyway, I love that the weapons were providing color. So that was interesting how Gore's weapon basically sucks all the color out of everything and Mm -hmm. uh, everyone else's weapons bring color. Mm -hmm. So that was interesting. Because it's a lack of light, right? Yeah. And and color exists because of light. Yes. (laughs) It just feels a little too complicated and I can't answer right now with the way my brain is. It's very hot, yeah. But you're right. It uh, It was a really cool effect what i also liked i mostly liked gore mm-hmm. you know we see him struggling and serving his god that uh, god of choice and uh, he yep. loses his daughter mm-hmm. he's begging the gods and then because he has suffered he had he now has access to the god mm-hmm. and i just thought that that was so horrible but also fairly universal in a way mm. And I like the idea that someone was like, you know what? No, fuck you. And killed a god or several. And I rather like that little revenge thing because I'm sure everyone has gone through a moment, depending on their scale of emotions, of 
well, God has definitely forsaken me right now, or, well, I really wish God could actually feel my pain right now, or, Mm. you know, everything in between and above. So I love that idea. Mm. I love that these untouchables were getting hurt. Not everyone deserved it, Mm. but I I like the idea. Mm. And then that, you know, he wanted his daughter to come back well, and ask in eternity. That's the thing is, thankfully, because you know this would have been nitpicked to death if not. Thankfully, the movie is smart enough to realize, oh, you actually have access to something that can give you anything you wish for. This is the, the failing on the Star Trek 2009's part, by the way. You have the opportunity basically to undo your loved one's death rather than just like wish all the gods out of existence it's like well why don't you just do that and thankfully the movie is smart enough to acknowledge that and be like oh (laughs) you know ultimately it comes down to just wanting his loved one back yeah yeah in the world yeah Yeah. Mm mm-hmm when i love that thor was the one that helped with that and now you get to see him be a father and it's very it's very fun yeah, that's I'm where sure the movie it's ended for a us. ride, and it's yeah. sad that Jane died, but she had stage four, which Cancer. is joked about. Yes. Um, like, oh, how many stages away am I? <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> like, out of how many one. stages? Yeah. This is the one, Dr. Jane Foster. This is the one. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I was amused. Yeah, they never said specifically what kind of cancer she has or or, or where it probably comes from or anything like that. They're very uh, vague about, very broad. Lymphoma, no, no, no. They're very broad about the, the cancerness and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, ultimately it works. And I think what's really interesting is she has the ability, which I really think is another thing that you're like, okay, you either go with it or not. She has the ability to use Mjolnir, which gives her her life back in a way, gives her her vitality, gives her her power, right? More than she ever had before. But it also, like, accelerates her cancer for whatever reason. I don't know that they thoroughly explain that. They just say, it does. But the idea is interesting because when she separates herself from that identity mm-hmm. you just see her wasting away yeah it's you know she's not able to fight yeah she's but, weak and all that sort of stuff you know not to be a debbie downer but like how how often is it that someone is able to fight stage four cancer mm. you know i think it it really depends and there's a lot of factors mm-hmm. and i think it was beautiful that jane you know, this mission came along and she's like, it's my first bad guy. Yeah. <laughs> and, so, and the way she was talking, it, it made us think like, oh, maybe she's going to live for a couple bad guys, you know, and, mm. and it's not. She just gets one. Yeah. And that might be directly from the actual comic story that introduces the female Thor uh, and, and is revealed eventually to be Jane Foster. I don't know. I've heard great things about that. I've never gotten around to read it yet. I think that... It did resolve very well, and it isn't trying to stretch that out or con- contrive any way for Jane Foster to not have died of cancer, but it does give her honor. And how wonderful is it when the movie ends, the you know, after the titles have rolled, that we see Jane in Valhalla? 
Mm-hmm. With Heimdall. I, I just thought that that was really freaking cool that she gets to go there. Mm-hmm. And she seemed pretty pleased and surprised about it too. So I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. And that gave me good peace. I was like, okay, she's in Valhalla. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anything else that you wanted to address about Thor Love and Thunder? I think Korg's story of how he came into the world and mm-hmm. then that he was able to create his own family with a, who, what is he called? Alan or something? I do Daryl? I do not recall. Anyway, regardless, it was great that they were incorporating uh, a gay couple into the universe. Oh, I didn't necessarily like assume that sexual identity and 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 gender or whatever were necessarily the same in that species you know uh maybe you maybe you're right and that's 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 great if you are but i i just assumed it's it's an alien species you know things could work differently and especially apparently i mean it's established that sex works differently for them so you know whatever his significant other is named (laughs) Dwayne. Look, I'm not here to discuss sexual mechanics of different, you know, species. I, I I'm not I'm not that person that wants to know how the blue people in Avatar work their life. Okay. Uh what what I am seeing when something like that happens is, oh great, you know, they're they're representing and making gay people feel included. That's how I see it, but I'm also a straight person, so Correct me if I'm wrong, please. No, uh, I doubt I doubt you are, but I will say just before we wrap up, you brought me back to one of the other issues I had. Uh, the whole like, oh, I guess a mouth is the only thing that's alive in a whatever they are. When Korg essentially practically almost gets killed by Zeus, his face is actually <laughs> all that's li- that look. I don't know that I necessarily wanted to see Korg die. I don't know that that was the no, scenario. No, I would have been pissed. Well, I don't know that that was necessarily the scenario where the stakes needed to be that high or anything. But it's it's one of those things where it's like, does that really work for you? That like you you're carrying around Korg's face. Like, did we even need to do that in the first place? You know, all that sort of stuff. I was perfectly uh, happy with it. Like Valkyrie tying him behind her so that like they work together as a team and them having that little moment in the bar of the ship yeah uh chit-chatting about different things was lovely too you could have had that moment on the ship regardless i i really don't mind if we only have a korg face for a while i'm perfectly happy with it Mm. i don't have a problem with it one thing that i also enjoyed was the goat screaming I thought that when the people on that planet were bringing the gift, I thought they were bringing like women who were screaming for their lives, but it was just goats. And Jesus I just, Christ. I thought that that was, well, I wasn't sure what kind of planet we were dealing with. I just thoroughly enjoyed the goats. And every time they were on screen, I was, I was very happy to hear that. Yeah. I'm not familiar with them. Apparently they actually have a, or, you know, they come from the comics one way or another. And then also, like we can't we can't leave the review without a, acknowledging the major part of the movie. A major part of the movie is the relationship between Thor and Foster, and what actually happened that we never really heard about between those two, and all that being wrestled with 
is Thor over Jane? All that sort of stuff. Uh, I think that sometimes you can go back and explain something and it really not that being that necessary, but I really appreciated this. And I really thought that not only did they get some good comedy out of it, but I thought that it became part of the emotional center of the film too. Well, I think with everything we shared, there's not much... There's not much wrong with this film and there's a lot of enjoyment out of it. And, you know, this is more than welcome in our house. (laughs) Fair (laughs) enough. All right. Those are our thoughts on Thor Love and Thunder. What do you think about the film? Feel free to email us at thegibsonreview at gmail.com. Now it's time for Film Faves, the final segment of the show wherein we count down our 12 favorite movies around a particular topic. This is, in case you're new to the show, this is kind of a spun-off from an old feature I used to do on the blog, The Gibson Review, with the same idea. Basically, the intention is to not only give you an idea of our tastes in film, but hopefully expose you to some movies that you've never heard of before, have heard of, but haven't seen yet. And to that end... We try to point you in the direction of where some of these movies may be available to stream on subscription platforms. There's a lot out there, so we only focus on Apple TV+, Plus, which rarely has anything, by the way. Disney+, Plus, Netflix, HBO Max, Hulu, and Amazon Prime. When a movie on our list is available on any of those services, we will let you know, so that way you can check it out yourself if it sounded interesting based on our recommendation so this episode is all about the rom-coms we haven't really focused on rom-coms before this is a genre that i think can be in minefield i think in the 2000s especially it really had a rough patch where it was it was all about formula it was hitting the same beats. There wasn't really much that was interesting. Like how to lose a guy in 10 days or something? Yeah. <laughs> You're so annoyed with me yeah. printing that up. Well, I, Jennifer Lopez. You know, that's the other thing is like there are particular stars that had a run of mm. these rom-coms. And most were just either awful or very vanilla. Jennifer Lopez is a is one um, Matthew McConaughey was in a few exactly you, you brought up yeah. how to lose a guy in 10 days he went through that period in, in his career Kate Hudson there's so many others and so here's the thing though when we were talking about this list and formulating it you know doing the research a lot of movies pop up that have a romantic element to it or a, a, you know a love story element to it or whatever it's like well is that necessarily a romantic comedy mm-hmm. what what constitutes a romantic comedy shanna you had some thoughts on this why don't you share some of those thoughts I think that if a a romance film is going to make me cry, <laughs> it's not a comedy. The comedy ratio has to be the highest thing in the film. And it also has to be about a relationship between two significant others, uh, whether it's they're creating a relationship or have that relationship that's going through something 
already. Mm-hmm. So something like Bridesmaids that comes up in, in lists, I, I don't think that that's a romantic comedy because it's about two friends and, you know, the romance barely features. Mm. It's like a B plot, right? It's not the main no, focus. I would, I would call it a C plot, mm. quite frankly, because, I mm-hmm. mean, maybe I need to watch it again. And then something like 500 Days of Summer, I it's definitely a romance film, but I think it's more leaning towards the drama side because it's talking about real things, not that rom-coms can't talk about real things. I do have one that does that later. Mm. But the ratio of comedy isn't there. I think, And I think there's a difference between relatable comedy and, oh my gosh, they have another joke. Ah, oh, my sides are hurting. Oh, I thought we were done with the jokes. Here comes another one. You know, so mm. to me, I want there to be a lot of enjoyment mm-hmm. and not necessarily, oh, I can relate to this and now I'm sad or now I need to go rethink my life or now <laughs> I need to be careful of what I do in the future. So something like Band-Aid, a romance film, uh, an example of a couple coming up against something. Uh, it has comedic moments for sure. I yeah. quote it all the time. Yeah. And I think that it is a funny film, but I would not categorize it as a rom-com. I think rom-com yeah. is supposed to be majority fun, mm-hmm. uh, some relatability, mm. uh, lots of laughter mm. or silliness mm. uh, that's constructive. So I think... For the most part, you and I are on the same page. There's some deviations. I think you're absolutely right. There, it has to be the B, the A plot has to be the love story, first of all. Whatever the shape that forms, okay. It has to be also primarily in tone or what have you, a comedy. So those two things have to be married, for lack of a better term. Um, together, <laughs> you know. You're battling a little bit there, but that's fine. Yeah, <laughs> it's a good word. But I do think that the best rom-coms do have something to say about love. Do have something to say about relationships. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I would say something like Five Hundred Days of Summer, which I can't include on my list <laughs> because it's in my twelve it's favorite in your movies. Vault. Of all time, as Band-Aid is for you. It's your third favorite movie of all time. Uh, I think 500 Days of Summer does qualify because a movie that's like it also qualifies that I will bring up later. Oh, that's so sad. (laughs) Um, So, (laughs) uh, yeah, I think the best rom-coms aren't just memorable, aren't just funny. Mm Mm-hmm. But I think occasionally they have something to say. Not all do. It's not a requirement. Absolutely not a requirement that a rom-com has something to say. But it certainly helps it break the mold. Well, and it might not be seriously saying it. It might just be yeah, gently saying it. Well, and sometimes yeah. comedy is the best way to deliver a message. But it doesn't, it, you know, it, those break the mold. Those break the beats. Those break the formula that we see so often in this genre is there anything else you wanted to add about rom-coms in general or even talk about the challenges or the ease of making the list well at first i i this rarely happens to me i had about 23 
to choose from. That is rare for you, yes. It's very rare. Mm -hmm. And so I had to really go through and it was difficult to eliminate the top 17 Mm. uh, to weed out what I'm not going to use. Don't let me forget after we're done. Let's let's talk about what what didn't quite make the list. Uh, I'd be interested to hear from you because it sounds like you had more than I did in that regard. Okay. Well, let's get to number 12, shall we? Okay. All right. My number 12 is a very recent one, 2022. It is The Lost City. Ha. This one was just so much damn fun. Interesting. <laughs> and now I'm really interested in what this movie beat. Okay. Okay. Right. <laughs> I'm so looking forward to that. <laughs> Breaking your heart. <laughs> Shocking me, maybe. No, we, we reviewed this movie a it few was, episodes back. It was really good. It was surprisingly good. We were very positive on it. Because that's the thing with rom-coms, too, which I think you kind of alluded to, is you never know what the experience is going to be like. So this stars Channing Tatum, Sandra Bullock, Daniel Radcliffe, uh, Devine Joy Randolph is amazing in it, and there's a few others sprinkled in. Brad Pitt makes an appearance, and that's mm. a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Sandra Bullock is a romance novelist, and she she is kidnapped, and the person who models for her front covers, that's all he right, does. Right, right, her book covers. Um, is the only one that... that that sort happen and the only one that truly believes he's the, he's the person that can do something about it. And mm-hmm. uh, so he goes on this mission to get her away from the kidnapper. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's hilarious. It's funny. Sandra Bullock is running around most of the time in a pink sequenced right. jumpsuit. Right. It's ridiculous. It's fantastic at the same time. And Channing yes. Tatum is after her like a little puppy. Yes. And it's just so sweet. And, the reality that grounds it is she's dealing with the loss of her husband right. and being okay with it. And yes. you, you never are. You just learn to be. And I I love it. I love her publicist. I The characters in you are hilarious. I think that Daniel Radcliffe surprises me mm. all the time with mm. what he gets to do. And I think it must be really lovely to be in his position and just choose whatever the hell he wants to do and go for it. Uh, one of Sandra Bullock's better films i would say she's one that has fallen into that rut in the past as well be it romantic dramas or romantic comedies uh this is definitely a highlight for her up there with uh miss congeniality and others my 12th favorite it did not make my list though the lost city my 12th favorite is crazy rich asians Mm. from 2018 Uh, Available on HBO now. We've talked a lot about Crazy Rich Asians. That actually dropped during the lifetime of this podcast. We might even have a review of it if you dig through the 2018 archives. But this is, it is, it it does have at its heart this this typical template of, of one person wanting to bring their significant other to meet their family. That's essentially what Crazy Rich Asians is. Mm. It's just wrapped around this uh, very unique and and really great dressing of Singapore and it being an all-Asian cast. And you have, as such, you have Asian flavorings to the the textures of the story and the dynamics. There's a lot going on that we've never really seen represented well or often in film. And, and, and it does so in a very 
entertaining and fun way with an excellent cast. And I can't wait to see mm-hmm. the sequel, which um, I, I pan, um, it sucks about the pandemic because I would have expected the sequel to have arrived by now. It probably would have had there not been a pandemic. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So Crazy Rich Asians is my 12th favorite uh, romantic comedy. It's on HBO now. My number 11 is available on Hulu and it is a pandemic movie or oh. at least in the pandemic. 2020 Palm Springs. Wow, you're really hitting the recent films. Oh, don't worry. It is a little varied as we go along. All right. (laughs) Um, Somewhat. Anyway, uh, this is a a great movie about two people being stuck in a time loop, reliving the same day. So it's a fun little Groundhog Day thing. But, Mm -hmm. you know, two people in the same position. And it's very fun to see how they uh, start coming together and how are they going to figure out how to break the time loop? Because that's mm. what you have to do. You can't be in a time loop the rest of your life. Well, and you, you can. I mean, you yeah. could if you don't figure it out. Yeah. But that's going to get old. And that stars Andy Samberg, Kristen Melody, and J.K. Simmons. Right. And th- there's a bunch of other people in there, too, which is a lot of fun, like, such but as those, those, Peter those, Gallagher. Yeah. But those three that I first mentioned are the main guys. So. Yeah. Very cool. That's a, That's... A surprising pick, but very cool. My 11th favorite is probably not as surprising for fans of the rom-com genre. It is 1999's Notting Hill. We're going to get a couple Richard Hmm. Curtis movies here. Is this rom-com? Oh, are you kidding me? Notting Hill? I don't think I've seen it since it came on cable. (gasps) So it's been years. I'm going to want to watch some of these (laughs) very soon. And Notting Hill may be one of them for your benefit. I do this for you. For me. Yes. Hugh Grant. (laughs) How magnanimous of you. Falls in love with Julia Roberts. Julia Roberts plays a famous actress. No stretch, I'm sure, for Julia Roberts. It's part of the fun of the film, part of the charm of the film. Hugh Grant is very charming. He's in top 90s charming mode. And Risa Fons plays his flatmate. He's kind of... he's. Very silly and funny. But uh, yeah, I've always kind of... This movie has always worked for me. It's it's the movie where, you know, you have the, the girl standing before a guy, just wanting him to love her, that sort of thing. It, it's... I dare say Notting Hill is better than Pretty Woman. Yeah. I was going to say, I guess take. Julia Roberts... Was in a bunch of rom coms for she, a while. She was, and she, she was. seemed to be on the more successful end of it. Like it seemed yes. to be better quality, uh, financially successful too. Yeah, I mean, Pretty sure. Woman made her career for a while, but then she did a series of others. She tried to recapture that with Runaway Blight. Then we have um, Notting Hill. I would say I do. I do argue, and this is my hot take, that Notting Hill is better than all of them. Say would, what you will, but would, would my best friend's wedding count? I guess not. Yeah, I think it is considered oh, okay. a rom com for sure. All right. She's horrible in that movie, but okay, um, <laughs> all right. I mean, Julia Roberts acts well, but she, her character is horrible. Anyway, so that's my eleventh favorite rom com, Notting Hill. My number ten is available on Hulu. Oh dear, it's from twenty twenty one. It's more recent stuff. Holy hell. Whoopsie. Um, it's Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar. Oh. Now, before you say. Is that a rom-com, like Shanna? Like you just did? Yeah. <laughs> I think it is. Big, and I, I don't think this is really a spoiler, but Barb and Star st- starring Kristen Wiig and... Annie Manolo, yeah. 
Annie Manolo. You know, are going on their vacation finally. Uh-huh. And it's a lot of fun and they meet a nice hunk of a man. Uh-huh. And it does become a little bit about that. Kind of. It's a little bonkers too. It's a freaking crazy film. And I think what I said to you last night for qualifying was, well, what isn't happening in that film? <laughs> it's like it kind of is in that, Im- it's it's in the, it could fit into any category, I think. Yeah, I, I, okay. I, I do think that that film is, is like Bridesmaids, where the A plot is very much the female friendship. But I'll let it slide. I'll let it slide. It's a great film and it mm-hmm. deserves... It deserves all the talk. Because if it wasn't for the pandemic, I think that would have been a sleeper hit of 2021. Yeah. More people should have seen that movie. Uh, so my 10th favorite is 1995's Rob Reiner's last great film, I contend, The American President. Oh, that's a lovely choice. Michael Douglas, I believe Martin Sheen is in it, Michael J. Fox, Annette Benning, and several others. Written by Aaron Sorkin, directed by Rob Reiner. What if the president were to date? The president of the United States. This is when we actually, you know, liked... And respected, still, to an extent, uh, the presidency. But this is also what's interesting, actually, comes to mind now that I'm talking this out, is this film is kind of like occurring during the rise of the talking head 24-hour media sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And that plays a huge role in in this, you know, when people are talking about the president and, and, and you know, the president's lady, we got to find out who who is this, who is this, who is this? Anyway, charming film regardless with a B plot that has some like social, uh, some political satire in it, but Michael Douglas is fantastic. This is the germ that became the West Wing. You see elements there. If you've seen the West Wing and love the West Wing, you can see the, those elements in the American president, a great film, not talked about enough. That is my 10th favorite rom-com. My number nine is The Proposal from 2009. Oh, really? I yeah. really need to see this movie then. Oh, God, it's so funny. Huh, okay. It stars Sandra Bullock. So, yay, two points for go. Sandra Bullock in my list. Mm-hmm. And Ryan Reynolds. Uh-huh, yep. yeah. Yeah, so a lot of fun there. And then um, Betty White makes an appearance. That's Betty White right. plays Ryan Reynolds' grandma. Right. And it's a it's, I think that the best part of that film is the scene between Sandra Bullock and Betty White. Okay. I just, I love it. So Sandra Bullock is an incredibly successful woman, but she is also about to be deported to Canada because her uh, legal status is not up to date. Mm. And even though you're a successful business person, doesn't mean you necessarily are going to be able to avoid immigration. And she decides that she would like to marry her assistant, her young assistant, Ryan Reynolds, Mm -hmm. in order to obtain U.S. permanent residency. Mm -hmm. It's it's no laughing matter. It's very serious. So anyway, I have a lot of fun with this film. And I actually haven't seen it since I moved to America. So I think, you know, between Notting Hill Uh and The Proposal, I think we would have a good date night. Very good. Yeah. And that film revitalized Betty White's career, made her, like, the whole, like, we gotta 
save Betty White whenever all these people, celebrities yes. are dying or whatever. <laughs> you know, the whole, like, the, the pop culture consciousness of Betty White is thanks in part to the proposal, which brought her back into pop culture consciousness and mm-hmm. gave her career a, a, what, a fifth wind or whatever. You know, she had a long yeah. career. So uh, very cool. My ninth favorite is my second Richard Curtis film. It is from 2003, Love Actually, available on Netflix. I think we, it came Oh, up... I guess I didn't think about that. Oh, you <laughs> Good didn't pick. Think... Good pick. Oh, 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 oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I feel like it came up in a recent list not too long ago. I can't remember which one that would have been. But it's, the, it's, it's this tapestry, kind of an anthology almost, of various forms of relationship, various forms of love. Mm. and it's beautiful i love it i think it's got a great cast i think it's it's very well written it's a hard thing to to make everything strong and you could make you could nitpick here and there uh, but i think it works as well as it possibly could and is very satisfying and bill nye is of course a huge highlight of the film. Hugh Grant is as well. There's so many others. Uh, Alan Rickman, Alan, Emma Thompson. Love Love Actually from 2003, available on Netflix. It is my ninth favorite rom-com. My number eight is available on HBO. It is Two Days in New York. Okay. I'm not surprised. Yeah, directed uh, by Julie Delpy and mm-hmm. written by her. And it stars her as well as chris rock right and the two of them are a they have created their wonderful family dynamic they each have a child from a different marriage and everything is going quite well until um, her family comes and visits a Mm. brother sister and father Mm. uh, all the way from france they come and uh, stay with them and it, it just chaos ensues. <laughs> there are things that her father th- thinks that he can get away with, that he would get away with in France, I guess. And that's not going to happen here in America. Mm-hmm. It's little things, like mm-hmm. little vandalism things. And it just, mm-hmm. it's hilarious watching the dynamic that her family brings to the relationship and is completely, I mean, it's not completely. It's somewhat relatable in that the concept of you bring your family from another country over to America to stay with you and your significant other. Things get crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. It's like a little culture clash fun time. Mm-hmm. So very relatable, very funny, very sweet. What a lovely couple. I really love how this was written and performed. Yeah, you're, you. that is the sequel to Two Days in Paris. <laughs> you were not as much a fan no, no. of that one. Uh, you love the New York even more. This one is perfect, yes. So, so far, Shanna, we're at our number eight, and we have not had an overlap in our picks. My number eight continues that trend, as far as I can tell. Sleepless in Seattle from 1993, available on HBO Max. I kind of can't believe that it's this far down the list because this film has been around my life as long as it has, and I adore it, and it's it's my favorite of the Tom Hanks, Meg Ryan movies. I think Meg Ryan is peak Meg Ryan. And Tom Hanks, maybe his last comedic performance, mm. possibly. He, I mean, like, this is what I miss, is comedic Tom Hanks. We really haven't yeah, seen... Yeah, that's, that's a fair assessment. ...him yes. be a normal guy, but funny. 
in mm-hmm. since at least Sleepless in Seattle, and I miss that. He's been very much into the drama. Uh, but he's he's great here. He's great as a single dad who mourns his wife and is having a hard time moving on. And as as you alluded to in a previous uh, film in your in your list, and Meg Ryan plays a woman in I don't remember if she's actually in New York or another city, but she overhears this this conversation on a radio show, a nationally syndicated radio show involving Tom Hanks, and she becomes obsessed with him as a potential love interest. What's so cool is. They never share screen time until the end of the film. Mm. And also, if you are a cinephile, you are familiar with An Affair to Remember, which this film, it's like hanging over this film thickly. They reference it all the time. And if you've seen that film, you appreciate this one even more. So Sleepless in Seattle, I love it. It's adorable. Nora Ephron's best film, in my Mm. estimation. It's available on HBO Max. Mm-hmm. Nora Ephron, I think, just slipped off my list, which was very sad. Mm. Uh, speaking of not overlapping, here comes the overlap. Crazy oh. Rich Asians okay. is the one for me. Okay. And I just adore this film. There's so much happening. It sticks to the romance. It's mm-hmm. funny. It's mm-hmm. relatable. It's mm-hmm. beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's I just want all of it. Mm-hmm. And I can't wait for the sequel. I think you've shared a lot about it, so I'm happy to move on. Aquafina. Oh, my God, love her. Yeah. My seventh favorite is probably the first one, maybe the second film on my list, you could say, that has something to say about relationships. It is from 2000. It is High Fidelity, available on HBO Max. Hmm, I thought this would make your list. You did. I did. I I think so. fucking love this movie. (laughs) John Cusack plays a record store owner. Jack Black made his breakout performance as a a supporting character in here. And you have so many appearances. Tim Robbins, Catherine Zeta-Jones. Oh, there's one person whose name is slipping my mind, who's a character actress I love, who pops up in it. There's a lot of people in this film. Todd Luizzo. Basically, the comedy, a lot of the comedy comes from the hijinks at the record store between Rob, played by John Cusack, and his pseudo-employees. I say pseudo because he admits they, they just they just keep coming. Like, you know, I never really technically hired them. <laughs> they just keep coming and helping out. But the, the movie itself, based on the wonderful book by Nick Hornby, is an exploration of the self and how the self performs in relationships and how the self has negatively affected past relationships. Why is it that you can't make relationships work? Is it something about you? Is it like, what was it about every single relationship that, why is it they all ended? And, and, and it's, it's, I think it's really great. And I think it lands on something that's not necessarily overtly romantic, but is realistic. And, uh, and, and I think that's the whole thing is to getting rid of coming to a sense of maturity that you dismiss all the, the fantasies about love and you're, you, you're down and left with what is real about a relationship and commitment. 
And there's a whole lot more. I'm an audiophile, so I, I love that stuff too. So that's High Fidelity 2000, available on HBO Max. My number six is from 1982. Oh, oh. <laughs> it's available, again, on our favorite HBO. It is Tootsie. It stars Dustin Hoffman, Jessica Lange, Terry Garr, as well as a few others. And what is this about? It's about Dustin Hoffman having this horrible actor uh-huh. career he's teaching he's not actually successfully acting uh-huh. and he decides to disguise himself as a woman so he can get a, a, a role on a soap opera and he gets it and yeah. inevitably is going to fall in love with one of his co-workers uh, co-stars i guess yes and i have a lot of fun with this film because not only is it bringing the comedy uh we have you know, this like, do I like this person? Do I like that person? What about my own issues? Mm. <laughs> How I'm dealing with things. So I enjoy that about the film. It's wonderful. I believe we have the criterion of it. Do we? I thought we did. Oh, oh yes, we do. Okay. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jeez, <laughs> all right. And so that's one of those days where it's like, okay, well, things that have made our lists should maybe be looked into the what are the special features saying and hmm. uh, we did briefly look at we how did. Dustin Hoffman has a lot of respect for Tootsie and thinks about her a lot and how the prior yeah. yeah how prior to this he didn't really you know there was a sensitivity that didn't exist that developed after playing Tootsie within him yeah within himself so this isn't interesting pick that i also wrestle with because you just described what the a plot was and it had nothing to do with the relationship the b plot definitely does great film i love the film it's a great feminist picture especially but not something i ever considered uh for a rom-com i figured it fell into rom-com because he's trying to have a relationship with two different people like one person he is more you know in love with falling in love with and then Mm. the other person he has this relationship that's like weird and not healthy because she's totally more into him than he is into her Mm. and that was kind of the justification i took oh all right all right interesting my sixth favorite as we finally hit the halfway mark here is from 1992 and i will admit i think you went older than i did uh, in terms of your picks uh, this this might be as old as it gets. I don't know. 1992, Singles, Cameron Crowe's... Oh, great pick. Second film. That's a great pick. I have always loved Singles. It was my first Cameron Crowe film, actually. Set in Seattle during the... So cool. ...beginning of the grunge movement. Uh, this movie is largely forgotten, but at the time, it helped popularize the grunge scene the seattle scene as several uh, i would say a handful actually of the key players of that scene make an appearance in this story about basically the tenants in an apartment complex the building actually exists in seattle i'd love to see it and all their 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 dating life their love life essentially so you have campbell scott who appeared in Jurassic World Dominion this year. You have Bridget Fonda, who I miss and love in this film. Kira Sedgwick, Shanna's favorite. Absolutely fucking love her. 
So I'm sure this. I would lose my fucking mind if she came to Comic Con for whatever reason. Uh-huh. I would just absolutely lose it. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I'm sure she shows up on in this movie and then shows up on your list at some point. Uh, great soundtrack, though, uh, procured by Cameron Crowe and a score by Nancy Wilson of Heart. I love this film, Singles. From 1992. It's my sixth favorite rom-com. Isn't Nancy Wilson a PNW? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Heart yeah. is from Seattle. Cool. Yeah. Lovely. My number five is from 1957. It is Desk Set. Oh, okay. Yeah, starring Spencer Tracy and Catherine Hepburn. I could not miss an opportunity to have them on one of my lists. And Desk Set is probably one of my favorite of theirs. Huh. I can't remember what my list looks like but <laughs> to be fair but you know when i was going through rom-com options i was like yes and this will be on there this is about two characters that are very good at what they do uh katherine hepburn is a what is she she's in the research department yeah and she can answer and get in she's basically the google <laughs> um you know she's able to recall a lot of information it's, yeah she's, she's very just fantastic smart. to watch mm-hmm. i'm just like and it's all women in this department by the way there are no men in this department uh and then spencer tracy comes on over and he's trying to streamline things with computers mm-hmm. and it causes a lot of ruffling of feathers and mm-hmm. uh, a lot of tension but it's also a lot of excitement happening and it's just really fun well he also becomes particularly fascinated by her yes mm-hmm. well and who wouldn't be she's <laughs> fucking amazing this character in particular is just amazing my fifth favorite is from 1995. It is, I think, in my we're we're entering hundred favorite movies of all time territory at this point. I think it's on that list. It's Clueless, available on Amazon Prime. Oh, of course. Okay. Loosely based on the novel Emma by Jane Austen. Basically about a, a woman who plays matchmaker to all her family and friends. And But, but what about her? What about her? <laughs> you know? <laughs> and it's, uh, it's, it's, it's hilarious. It was an iconic film of the 90s for many reasons. And it was a star out breakout role for Alicia Silverstone. Which, you know, a career that was arguably killed by Batman and Robin, unfortunately. Oh, that's fair. Yeah, that's very unfortunate. She didn't really bounce back from that Mm. in terms of, you know, acting roles. She was the it girl, and that's partially because of Clueless. And there's there's actually a lot of great supporting players in here. I love Dan Hedaya, who plays her dad. Paul Rudd, who it's the the meme of how Paul Rudd looks the same (laughs) today as he did in 1995, you know? I, uh, anyway, I don't know what that man does, but he needs to share it with the world. Apparently. Yeah, <laughs> Clueless is a brilliant film. I love it. It's hilarious. It's available on Amazon Prime. My number four is from 1930. Oh, very eight. good. I'm so glad <laughs> that you are at least representing the golden age here. I am failing in that regard. This one is very, very funny. It is Bringing Up Baby. Aha. Uh-huh. This stars, again, Katherine Hepburn mm-hmm. and Cary Grant. 
And so it looks like so far I have two Catherine Hepburns and two Sandra Bullocks. So I think that that's a little amusing. It, it makes sense. I mean, Catherine Hepburn did a run. Mm. She's kind of one of the original rom-com girls. And, yeah. And I think this one was, wasn't this one by, was it Billy Wilder or Howard Hawks? It's directed that, by Howard Hawks. Ha- Howard Hawks, excellent. Yeah. And so Cary Grant is trying to secure funding for the museum. This is during... Uh, he's a paleontologist, so this is during, you know, trying to get funds so that they can get more bones in, uh, fossils. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is what makes a museum a museum. Mm-hmm. And, well, one of the things. And then Catherine Hepburn is the, <laughs> is a, a heiress, and she has a pet leopard called Baby. And... Hijinks in yeah, soup. Yeah, it's very... I want to say traditional in hijinks. Mm-hmm. It's just... It's so fun to watch. Mm-hmm. And I just, I don't understand why my mother won't look at the golden age, you know? <laughs> it's like she refuses to watch anything from that time. And I don't know if that's because that stuff was on repeat. I think um, also the acting style has been cited by her. But it's silly because, I mean, Cary Grant is absolutely hilarious in this movie. He, his, his, his acting, his performance is great. Uh, Catherine Hepburn is just bonkers in it. This is one of the building blocks of the rom-com. I'm so glad that you represented it uh, here. And we also have this one on Criterion. So yes. it's, definitely, uh, it's definitely a respected work. Yes, absolutely. Consider one of the greatest comedies, but uh, American comedies ever made, actually. My fourth favorite is... 2010 Scott Pilgrim versus the World. Yay. Another movie that actually has something to say about love and relationships and growing up and maturing and taking responsibility for how you affect others and also the baggage that you're taking on perhaps when you are in a relationship with another person, the baggage of their past relationships and how that has affected them. You know, it's all... <laughs> It's the reality of it. <laughs> I'm speaking to the metaphor that the movie is existing within, but most people love it because of its video game aesthetic and because of the, the dazzling nature of it and the hilarity of its visuals and Michael Sarah's performance. But there's a lot of great stuff here as a rom-com based on and, and adapted from the the short run of I, I think they were actually graphic novels I don't think they're actual comic issues mm. I think they were a series of graphic novels like mm-hmm. eight of them or something like that yeah. by Brian Leo Malley one of the most celebrated of the two thousands I, I love Scott Pilgrim versus the World it got trounced by the Expendables when it first came out in twenty ten and just got buried in theaters unfortunately but it has a following it has a fan base edgar wright is brilliant i love it shanna what is your third favorite rom-com of all time (laughs) okay let's stop putting the pressure on me this is all the pressure (laughs) oh my gosh of all time your third favorite i i see lists as things that like flow and change but all right no, this is concrete. <laughs> no, it's not. This is etched in this stone. This is not, no. So from 2019, it is Long Shot. Whoa, really? I, this is two hours of hilarity. It is so funny. And they Whoa. teach you how to breathe and like calm your nerves and stuff. Uh-huh. This is starring Charlize Theron and Seth Rogen. And I just find it hilarious. Uh-huh. It's two unlikely people that would be together. 
Uh-huh. <laughs> and they have a lot of fun with it. Seth Rogen is a journalist and he had a childhood crush on Charlize Theron and he yes. comes across her at a party and she hires him to be part of the team. She's also running the writing for, team. Yes. Uh, yeah, she's running for a political position. I think she's is she a I can never remember if it's senator or president, honestly. She's something and then she would like to run for president okay. is what she talks about. Okay. So she's probably a, a senator of some kind. Okay, yeah. And they're just really sweet together. It's a little creepy at first because I'm a nanny. So I'm like, absolutely not. But Well, the age difference isn't that extreme. It's not that extreme. No. Yeah. They're way mature now. And it, it's, Yeah. I guess it's just, it's just really funny. It's a lot of fun. I, uh, look, this is one of the most underrated movies of 2019, a year mm. that had a lot of underrated movies, underseen movies. I'm still shocked that it came to be your third favorite rom-com. But I, I, I mean, like, this is kind of like your American president. This is very similar. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I would still argue American president's an even better film, but... I just, I'm just like staggered by the fact that this is in your top three. Well, I also love how strong a character Charlize Theron is. Sure, I think she's amazing to watch in this. Sure, fair enough. My third favorite is one of the greatest rom-coms of all time, undisputed. One okay. of the greatest comedies wow. of all time. Oh boy, what is it? Also a Rob Reiner film, and also in a way a Nora Ephron film. 1989's When Harry Met Sally. I knew this was going to get on your list. Because why wouldn't it? (laughs) It's available on HBO Max and Netflix. If you have not gotten around to seeing this uh, yet, uh, you need to jump on it. Billy Crystal, Meg Ryan, they are opposites who know each other from a long college road trip. And... It's it's about like basically this 10 15 year mm. uh, journey that they have where they come in and out of each other's lives. Yeah. And they're friends and it, it actually asks this question that like can men and women be platonic? Do they is there always this sexual tension between men and women if if both are single? especially by the way and it's it's hilarious it's billy crystal like i i think like he did a run in the late 80s and early 90s where he was amazing and hilarious and he's great in this movie and this just this is a perfect film it's it's quotable it's often quoted it's just um it's a great film i love it bruno kirby and carrie fisher are star in it and they're amazing and hilarious when Harry Met Sally, one of my favorite movies of all time. It's my third favorite rom-com. Check it out on HBO Max and Netflix. All right, my number two is Crazy Stupid Love from 2011. <laughs> Jeff's just going to have like a stroke, yeah. I didn't know you liked that movie that much. Um, I really fucking like it. Wow. Uh, yeah. I would have thought you'd like Crazy Rich Asians more than this one. I mean, it's possible. I, that's why I say these lists are flowing. <laughs> they ebb and flow. <laughs> oh, God, don't uh-huh. give me this. Twenty eyes. Mm-hmm. Anyway, this has a really great cast. It, does. it has Steve Carell, and I'm not usually a fan, but mm-hmm. I don't mind seeing him like this. Uh-huh. Ryan Gosling, Julianne Moore, Emma Stone, mm-hmm. Marissa Tomei, mm-hmm. and Kevin fucking Bacon. 
So apparently Kira Sedgwick is in that movie. Apparently Kira Sedgwick didn't make my list, but Kevin Bacon did. So I mean, like accounts for her right? husband. Yeah. Yes. That's funny. Um. So Steve Carell is asked by his wife for a divorce, and he's kind of taken aback by it, and he's trying kind of. to. He's pretty, he's taking it pretty hard, um, and so he's like, okay, well, I'm going to try and figure out my life, and he meets. Ryan Gosling, uh-huh. and Ryan Gosling starts to teach him how to pick up women at a bar, and then fun fucking shit happens from then on, and it's very very enjoyable, <laughs> and this is memed a lot, oh, and so if if you have seen oh because of the, the when, when Ryan Gosling's look yes okay so it, like. It's always fun to see something in pop culture and then finally discover it. Mm. Uh, so that is Crazy Stupid Love. Wait, you didn't see this when it came out? No, I saw it with you a few years ago. Oh, wow. Okay. I don't know why we watched it, but we did. Uh, well, apparently with good reason. My second favorite film brings back Edgar Wright to the list. It is 2004's Rom Zom Com. Shaun of the Dead. Oh, that's a great pick. I like your list. Thank you. Good job. <laughs> it is, yes, a zombie apocalypse film, but it's riffing on the George Romero movies with a love story underneath it all. Like, the entire motivation that Sean, the title character, has is to save and be with this woman that he loves even though their relationship is on the outs like like she's bored of the relationship they never go anywhere or do anything interesting and she doesn't see the relationship going anywhere before events go down and but all sean can think of when he realizes what's happening with the world and it does take him a while to realize that that's part of the metaphor of the, of the movie too is he wants to be with with her. I think her name's Maggie, but I could remember wrong, poorly. It's, it might be something else. And so that's that's why it's on this list. It's it's often cited as the, the zombie rom-com, the zombie rom-com, whatever you want to call it. So uh, and it is a perfect film. It's one of Edgar Wright's, still to this day, greatest films. Check it out on Amazon Prime. Shanna? Okay. All right, are it's you gonna number sh- one. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm curious. How are you going to shock me with your number <laughs> one? if it's going to be shocking. I don't know. Favorite? Is it How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days? No, I'm, I'm actually surprised how that did not come onto my radar when I had all the others, uh-huh. the, the 23. I don't think that that came on there. Well, good. Oh, <laughs> my God, you're such a dick sometimes. I love you, but what the fuck? I... <laughs> No. You, All right, well, why don't you take God, a guess? I, I'm trying to think. I mean, I hope the love story is the A plot in it. Um, I I have no idea. What? I, wow. Hmm. Well, I, I don't think it's going to. I love to, when you're clueless in this Is category. it clueless? No, absolutely not. <laughs> I, I don't think it would be a Meg Ryan film. Nah. I don't think it would be a Julia Roberts film. Nah. I don't think there would be a Jennifer Lopez movie or a Sandra Bullock film. Well, I I, I had those already. Yeah. I'm either going to, it's going to be an obvious thing that this is like, duh, or I'm going to be blown away. I honestly have no idea where it could possibly be. What is your favorite rom-com? Or you're going to tell me it doesn't count. I hope not. (laughs) I, I believe it counts. 
Uh-huh. All right. It is... What? From 1993. And it's not Sleepless in Seattle. It's not. The fuck came out in 1993? I don't remember. It's directed oh, by... Oh, is it uh, Groundhog Day? It is! Ding, ding, ding. Okay. Good job. Yeah. Uh, yes, yes, that is counts. that is largely considered a romantic comedy. Yeah. This is such a great film. It's it's directed by Harold Ramis. It stars Bill Murray and Andy McDowell, and there are several others that make appearances too. It is so fantastic. It's Bill Murray is stuck in a time loop, and yes. he's not stuck with someone. He's stuck all alone <laughs> in yes. his time loop. Yes, which is why you know Palm Springs is a lot of fun because uh-huh. it's two. It's you know, yes, never been done two before. People and, yes, uh, in this one, it's one. I I love this film because he has to figure out how to not be a fucking asshole, and well, he has to realize that's that's the thing, right? He goes through this really cool arc of figuring out, hey, I'm actually a dick, mm-hmm. and uh, I wonder how I'm going to fix that, and does he fix it? And it's really great what he eventually decides to do with his time in the time loop what if you were stuck in a time loop what would you work on uh would it be your social skills or you know your would you increase your knowledge about something or a topic or would you take up some activities that you never thought to do mm-hmm. also what happens if you if you come to a community that's well known for something that's very sweet and small town mm. And you hate it. Yeah. Like, and you're stuck there. Yeah. How do you make peace with it? And uh-huh. how, do you f- how do you change your perspective on it? So there's a lot of things that are being tackled in here, as well as you kind of have to, and we know this from our own experience, you kind of have to, have to be aware of your faults, working on them, aware of your limits, and be happy with yourself before Mm. you can start inviting another person in Mm. because although another person might amplify your happiness there it's not their job to make you happy Mm. um as the sole happy maker however i will say it is the love that saves him yeah Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. definitely Mm -hmm. well excellent pick uh that that is very very that's a great film that's a great film absolutely my first of all, my first my, my number one is 500 Days uh, of Summer, but I can't talk about that. One. <laughs> it can't be my number one, right? Because it's in my 12 favorite movies of all mm-hmm. time. And I know you know what what I, what my pick what I'm going to say my pick is. It, it is a movie that 500 Days of Summer is heavily influenced by. It's a it's actually my oldest pick. It's from 1977. It is the Oscar-nominated and Best Picture winning Annie Hall, available on Amazon Prime. You're rolling your eyes, yet you knew this answer was coming. You're looking at me lovingly. Honestly, I'm a little surprised that it's not the Tom Cruise one. What the fuck? The, 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 the you had me at hello. Okay, so Jerry... I'm surprised that Jerry Maguire is not your number one. Because I don't think of it as... Or listed as all. I don't think of it as a romantic comedy at all. Okay. Is I, it more of the drama category? Well, it's, 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 yes, it's a love story. It probably came up in my favorite love stories of all time. Mm. It's also a sports movie. It's also an entrepreneur movie, but I don't think it's a romantic comedy. Okay, fair. You know, it's a movie with comedic elements here and there, peppered throughout. But anyway, what is 
a romantic comedy is is very much Woody Allen's Annie Hall, a film that does so much that just did not happen before this film. It it breaks the rules of a love story. It it tells and by doing so, it has something to say about love and relationships. It upsets expectations of what you hope for this couple. It also has like brilliant fourth wall breaking moments like the split screen between the two families and at the dinner table and how they you have this split screen and it actually talks back to Woody Allen who's narrating as Alfie and 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 talking at the screen and you have this stuff of like this the, the scene with all his classmates in grade school and and them reflecting to the audience what they end up becoming as people, <laughs> you know, and the whole like roller coaster, you know, the house underneath the roller coaster, the animation sequence. There's so much that is brilliant about Annie Hall. I know it's not popular to to love anything Woody Allen, but I can't, I can't not with something that is so great. And and this is like. A movie that was like parsed out of an over a, a bigger like murder mystery story to for something to be just like a, a little fragment of another bigger script to be so complete and so whole and so fully realized and so brilliant it's extraordinary so as you could tell i'm a big fan of annie hall from 1977 it is my favorite rom-com it's available on Amazon Prime. Give it a watch. All right. So let's chat really quickly. Lightning speed. What <laughs> didn't make it to the list? I had Big Sick, Moonrise Kingdom, 500 Days of Summer, Bride and Prejudice, oh, EZA. Okay. Uh, possibly Wild Wait, Child. Easy A? Yeah. That's why it was kind of at the bottom okay. of the list. Okay. Yeah. You know, this was the first round. What else is on here? Wedding Crashers, yes. Legally Blonde. Oh. I was kind of bummed to huh. not have Legally Blonde there. But, you know, these were films where I was like, does it, is it the right ratio? And mm. I guess it wasn't. And then I'm kind of shocked that How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days wasn't on there. Uh, what do you have? Uh, that was a lot to process really quickly. Um, so first of all, Friends with Benefits was just outside my list. Mm-hmm. I, I ultimately decided... I, that's not a movie I've watched enough to make it to my list. Like it's not a movie like a lot of these other ones I've watched so many times or several times have really absorbed. I think friends with benefits is a movie I just really enjoy and think is hilarious and not enough people talk about wedding crashers. Also right outside my list. Love that movie. Hilarious film. Love everyone in it. And lastly, lastly, Shannon, because I didn't have as many as you. There's something about Mary. The, That's a good one, too. I haven't seen that in years. The one Fairly Brothers movie I actually think is great. It's actually got named one of the greatest American comedies, too. It's just brilliant. It's just a brilliant movie. It's a little gross out occasionally, but it's it's a brilliant movie. Ben Stiller's great <laughs> in it. Okay. Cameron Diaz is, is fantastic, and so many others. I just love that movie. There's something about Mary, but that's right outside the list here too so 
Those are our favorite romantic comedies. What are your favorite rom-coms? Do you share any of our favorites? Was there any that we forgot about that you think are, are worth sharing? Email us at thegibsonreview at gmail.com. That'll about do it for this episode of The Movie Lovers. Before we talk about the next episode and future episodes of the podcast, Shanna, why don't you share with everyone where they can find you online? You can find me on Instagram at Shanna Paxton Photography and on Flickchart at Spellbinding A. Go to thegibsonreview.com. Go check out the James Bond A Review series of articles on that blog. If you don't find it on the front page, go to Reviews and Features to find it. Read also past reviews. Past episodes of The Movie Lovers are available on there. There's a lot of stuff. Go mind that blog, gibsonreview.com. Follow on social media, facebook.com slash thegibsonreview or Instagram. The Gibson 99, I do bracket polls there. We recently did your favorite 2002 movie. Shanna, can you guess what they voted as their favorite movie from 2002? What was it down to? Spider-Man and Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers. Oh, geez. So the first Spider-Man, Tobey Maguire Spider-Man? Yes, of course. And the second Lord of the Rings film. Correct. Did the fans choose Lord of the Rings? Yes, uh, it was it was a tight it was a tight fight for a little while there, but uh, Lord of the Rings came out on top. This is the second bracket poll that Lord of the Rings has come out on top. I kind of wonder is it going to be a, a, a three in a row? We'll find out sometime. You can follow along on the Gibson ninety nine. Soon we'll be doing favorite rom coms. Feel free to participate and have fun there. Okay, so the future of the movie lovers. First of all, I think it's important to point out what we decided to do. So we we have we're at this point in the podcast after five years where we've done all these lists of favorite movies, and not all the topics we have left the, the, to cover necessarily gel with what the movie is in fact lately it's been kind of hard to do that so what we decided to do especially since it's such a long segment anyway is from here on out to parse out film faves as its own episode so what we'll do is we'll have for the time being we'll stick with the every other week schedule and you'll have one episode be the week in review and the main event. And then you'll have another episode two weeks later that will be the film faves of, uh, episode with uh, some sort of a topic to be discussed in that. So we'll do that in, starting with next episode. The next episode will be the week in review and a main event review of Jordan Peele's Nope. <laughs> I thought it was more like, nope. Like, we're not doing that. Nope. Nope. <laughs> not like a, no. No, it's definitely not a question mark. <laughs> um, a movie that I've, I'm, I'm, I was happy not, I was happy without the second trailer, even though I've seen the first trailer ad nauseum. I feel like I don't want to see more of this movie before I see the movie. Uh, it should be a very exciting review. Looking forward to that. Look for it on Tuesday, August 2nd. The 2nd of August. 
Until then, keep loving the movies. This is Jeff and Shanna saying bye-bye.